So, um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Aaron. Uh, I am one of the elders here at Grace. Uh, it's great to be bringing today's sermon. So I'm going to begin this afternoon by asking a question. And if you think you might know the answer, then please feel free to shout it out. Does anybody know what this is? So it kind of it unravels a little bit as well. Any guesses? Yes, Kingston. Fishing. No. Good guess. Anyone else? Come on, somebody shout something out. Sorry? It, yes, but that's not what this specifically is, but I think it's some sort of fiber cable. Yes. It is a tennis racket string. <laughs> Round of applause. Excellent. Now, I did that thinking nobody would get it, but there's obviously one person here who, who knows their tennis. Now, in and of itself, this kind of piece of racket string is actually pretty useless because you maybe, I mean, you could maybe use it to tie something together, but it's, it's, it's kind of sheened, but it's not very pliable, so I'm not sure I'd even trust it for that purpose. But when thinking about what it was made for, if I had just this bit of string and a tennis ball, I would have no chance of getting that tennis ball over the net. Now, granted, I'm a terrible tennis player, but I think even Roger Federer would struggle. Why? Because to be effective, this piece of string is designed to be woven into the head of a tennis racket. And even these two parts are not enough. You also need the shaft of the racket, and you need the handle, and you need the grip. And then what you need to do is you need to put that tennis racket into the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. And did you know that with this piece of string in its right place, you can then propel a tennis ball up to 200 kilometers an hour? Now, just to get an idea of how fast that is, it's about the average speed of a Nissan Patrol going through Khalifa City. It's that fast. It's amazing, isn't it, what this little piece of string can do when it's used for its intended purpose and it's placed in the correct hands. And this afternoon, maybe some of us are feeling a little bit like this string. Maybe you're kind of effective in some of the things that you do. Maybe you feel, I'm effective in the workplace. I'm doing okay there. Or, uh, you know, some other area of your life. But maybe you think, that's, that's not my primary calling. You know that as a follower of Jesus, your primary calling is to be bringing glory to him. But it seems so hard. You struggle to pray. You find it difficult to read your Bible. You can never find the words. Maybe you can never find the courage to share your faith with people around you. Like this string, we are not designed to fulfill our purpose on our own. We have been designed to be part of something that is much bigger than just ourselves, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So we're going to begin by reading this morning's passage, this afternoon's passage. Doing so well. So if you could turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, where we're going to read chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. So that's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27. They're up on the board. If you haven't got your Bibles, it's fine. For 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now this passage of scripture is, is powerful and it's one that we really need to sit up and listen to because it flies in the face of the Western values that so many of us are used to. Do what's right for you. Be independent. Forge your own path. And these things sound very appealing, don't they? Because who doesn't want to satisfy all of their desires? Who doesn't want to be strong and powerful and self-sufficient? Who doesn't want to be successful? But of course, the weakness of this is clear to see. If all of the individuals within a society made all their decisions based on what is right for me, then community very quickly begins to fall apart. And of course, this is something that we can see around us in much of the world today. It's because of the individualistic way of thinking that we see in many nations growing levels of inequality. And we see high rates of divorce and we see mental health issues at pandemic levels. And there's this kind of knock-on socio-economic impact that each of these problems has as well. Because this is not how we're designed. We are designed to flourish as part of God's community with him as the head. So let's have a look about what we can learn from this in this passage. Again, we're going to start with verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So what's this saying to us? Well, the first thing that I think is noticeable is the repeated use in this passage, in these two verses, of the word body, when it comes to describe people who are followers of Jesus. Now, as people, obviously our default, when we think of a a body, is we think of one person per body. It would be weird, wouldn't it, if you had maybe several people living inside one body, because maybe one of those people would be like, I want to go out and party. And another one thinks, I want to stay in and play board games. And another one's thinking, I want to go to sleep. Pretty quickly, in order for that body to operate harmoniously, you're going to have to think of ways to start working together in order to be in unity and to resolve any differences. In fact, I can't think of a description of the church that would describe more unity than to describe us as a body. But this level of closeness and this level of intimacy that is required than a body, this is what Paul is telling us the church should be like, the body of Christ. And when we become believers, that is when we receive, when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we become part of this body of Christ. And there is one body, and as we read here, there is one Holy Spirit. So regardless of your financial status, regardless of your race or your education or your gender, when you become a part of the body of Christ, you are equally a part of the body of Christ as every other believer. Because it is not us, it's not who we are, it's not what we've done that enables us, that knits us into the body of Christ. It is a free gift of grace received by the Holy Spirit through Jesus' death and resurrection, cleansing us of our sins and making us all worthy to be part of the body. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you look around this afternoon and you look around and you see others and you feel less than because of your background or because of your status in society or maybe because of something you've done or maybe because of something that has been done to you, then you need to hear what Paul is saying this morning. You are forgiven, you are made righteous, you are made worthy by Jesus' blood-bought sacrifice. You have received the Holy Spirit and now have the highest possible honor as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. There is no greater status, and that applies to all of us that are found in Christ. And on the other side of the coin, if you are here this morning and you know within your heart that you have a tendency to favor those with the same level of education that you have, or you favor those maybe who have wealth or privileges, then you need to know that within the church of Christ, this is completely unacceptable. These things, our achievements, who we are, what we've done, in no way curry favor with Jesus. Quite the opposite. If we seek our identity in uh, other things in, in, in anything but him, then actually what we need to do is we need to repent and we need to realign our priorities. As we've seen in this passage, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves or free. In the eyes of the Father, we are all of equal worth. So we need to see ourselves and we need to see each other in this light. And this applies as well to our level of gifting. Maybe we can look at the paid pastors and think, wow, these guys, they're amazing. They, they do so much. They must have a special place in the body of Christ. So we're going to keep reading the passage to see what it says about this. So we're going to read verses 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now each of us in this room may have different experiences of what it is to be part of church. But I think that one thing that maybe all of us who have been part of church for a certain amount of time, all of us who are followers of Jesus would have experienced is that sometimes being in a church is difficult. And people will have different reasons for this. Maybe you've been hurt by the words or by the actions of other people within the church. Maybe the leaders within the church. Or maybe you disagree with some of the decisions that have been made. Or you disagree with maybe how some of the funds within the church have been spent. Possibly you feel that the services go on too long. Maybe you feel like the sermons go on too long. Perhaps maybe you disagree with some of the worship songs, or maybe you disagree with some points of theology. Whatever the reasons, living in the community that God calls us into, into can be challenging. We are all individuals. We all have our own preferences. So to be united in the way that we're reading about this morning, this afternoon, it's not easy. And it can lead us into this kind of temptation of thinking, I don't need the church. It is just full of other imperfect people. It can't be really the body of Christ. We can look around. Is this really the body of Christ here on this earth? I'm an introvert anyway. I'm better off maybe doing this solo just me and Jesus. But of course, this is not what we see anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere do you have these kind of lone ranger Christians armed with nothing but the Bible and an internet connection, ready to take on the world. Most of Paul's letters, they're written to the church. And as we've looked at already, the church is the body of Christ. We cannot be separated. We must united. And when we consider this, we must also remember the very real fact that we have a spiritual enemy who is seeking to separate us from the pack. We read in 1 Peter verses 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour 
Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Only Jesus, only Jesus is able to stand alone and resist the temptations of the devil. And even Jesus, after we read in Matthew 4 that he was tempted by the devil, even Jesus was ministered afterwards by angels. We should not be so naive as to think that we as Christians can do this alone any more than could any one of us fight a pack of lions. He has placed us in the body for our spiritual safety. And all of us belong in this body. Let's read verses 15 and 16 again. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Likewise, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've received the Holy Spirit and been born again, you are a part of the body. There is no option to separate. You don't have a choice. And we see why in these next verses, verses 17. The reason why is we're not able to operate separately. Let's read those verses, 17 and 18. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Now the eye, used here as an example, is one of the most amazing parts of the body. And I apologize to anybody who's got kind of any form of medical background. What I'm about to say is just kind of my understanding, so apologies if it's wrong. But, but what the eye does is it takes in light and then it creates kind of electrical signals. And those electrical signals are used to accurately represent what is in front of the eye. But if you were to cut the eye out of the body, it is completely useless because there's no brain to decipher the signals. There's no blood vessels to carry oxygen to the eye. There's no eyelids to keep the eye clean, and so on. And so it is with us. No matter how gifted you are, you are designed to be part of something bigger. And as we see here, this has been arranged by God himself. So we know that it's been arranged properly. Now in the church context then, what does this look like? Well, I think above all, this is about being present. All of us here, as we've said, have bodies. And every part of all of our bodies is with us all of the time. This may seem quite mundane, but this means things such as turning up to home group every single week. It means coming to church every single week, even if you don't feel like it. In fact, especially if you don't feel like it. If you're tired, if you're fed up, if you're struggling in any way, the correct answer is never to turn away from fellowship. What you need is to encounter Jesus. What you need is to be surrounded by people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are designed to be part of this body. 
that he's created you to be in. And to be clear as well, when I say we are to show up every week, this isn't out of a sense of duty or because we'd feel guilty if we don't. It's not because it's the right thing to do. It's a check in the box. It doesn't somehow placate God if we turn up to church every week or we go to home group every week. It's so much more than this. So turning up to church isn't just the right thing to do. When we turn up to church, it is the best thing that we can do. Just as, for example, the best place for my stomach is inside here. And it's the best thing, not only for my stomach, but for the rest of my body as well. If I turned up this morning and I'd kind of cut my stomach out, left it on the welcome table and come in to, to give the sermon, you'd all think I was crazy. You'd be, why, why have you left your stomach out there? It doesn't make any sense at all. And so it is with each and every one of us. Lorraine being here this morning is the best thing for us. And for us, having Lorraine here with us is the best thing. Sorry, Lorraine being here is the best thing for her. And for us, Lorraine being here is the best thing for us. And so it is with all of us. Presence, being where we belong, is everything. Okay, let's turn back to the passage and read verses 21 to 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Now, each and every one of us, we're different, and we have different giftings. This echoes what Paul says in the book of Romans in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. He says this, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And as we see here, these, these gifts are given according to God's grace. More than this, as we read earlier in verse 18 of, of the passage we're reading today, it says, God arranged the body, each of them as he chose. So you put these verses together and you see that in his grace, God very, very deliberately has arranged the body of Christ. That is each of us is part of the church. He has arranged us. We are here by his design. And we're here by his design with the giftings that we have in order to bring maximum glory to himself. Our area, our level of gifting is not an accident. It's determined by God himself, which is why the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. God has perfectly designed each and every part of the body in order for us all to flourish. But of course, not everybody's contribution will be the same. But everybody's contribution 
is of equal importance in the body being all that God has designed it to be. Church, if we are to truly reflect the glory of God, we need to see this clearly. Ephesians 2, sorry, Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 elaborate on this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He has prepared good works for us, that we are to walk in nothing Nothing is an accident. He has put us where we are with the talents that we've got for a reason. And that is to do what he has already prepared for us to do in order to bring glory to himself. And this has two very, very important implications. The first of these is very clearly spelled out here in Ephesians 2 verse 9. Our gifts are given as a result of grace, not of works, so that no one may boast. So maybe you give lots of money to the church, or maybe you, you have uh, prayed for people and you've seen them healed, or maybe you've shared the gospel with, with lots of people and you've seen them come to Christ. And they, these things are, are amazing. But every single one of these things that maybe you have achieved by God's grace, every single one of them are works laid out by him in advance, intended to bring you joy, but to bring the glory to him, not the other way around. So each of us must have humility in the gifts that we've given. And I mean, when I say humility, I mean real humility, not the kind of humility that maybe makes us say, oh, it was nothing, I'm, I'm just doing the Lord's work, whilst maybe feeling a little bit pleased inside that we've come across as very humble. This is a sin that I personally battle with regularly. And we can kid, kid ourselves, I can kid myself into thinking, it's okay that I think like that, because I did the good thing in the first place anyway. But of course, this attitude could not be further wrong. Because when we fall into the trap of pride, when we fall into the trap of taking credit for what God has done, essentially we're putting ourselves in his place. And when we fall into that place, we're actually trying to rob Jesus of glory. So this is very serious. We must not underestimate this. True humility is recognizing the depth of our sin and seeing that our sin is so horrifying to a holy God that the only way that we can be forgiven, the only way that we can be restored is through Jesus's death and resurrection as a perfect sacrifice, taking our sin on his shoulders. When we see our good works in the light of this, we see actually how comparatively puny they are. Seeing this, understanding this, living by this is true humility. But the amazing thing is, is we can then see God take our puny gifts 
And by his incredible grace, he turns them into something marvelous that means that we as the church display the glory of God. But it's all because of him. It's our works are to his credit entirely. So if you struggle with pride, if you struggle with false humility like I do, you need to see it for the sin that it is. You need to gaze upon the cross in wonder at what Jesus has actually done for us. Our sins are forgiven and he is calling us to build his kingdom. Anything that we do to bring him glory is a gift to us. So we must repent of this. And this is as well, so I just want to say, this is important for anyone who maybe has a weak conscience or anybody who struggles with anxiety over this, particularly false humility. When we repent of this, we do so knowing that we stand forgiven. Because it is this extravagant grace that actually sees us forgiven when we put our trust in him. So we can repent and we can know that we will have forgiveness of those sins. So that's the first implication of knowing that God has put us where we are with the talents that we have for a reason, so that we can do all that he's called us to do with humility, knowing that it's only by him that we can do it. And then the flip side, the second implication, is if you feel your gifts are maybe less than others around you, maybe less important, then you need to see that actually the gifts that you have are just as equally God-given. Let's read verses 22 to 24 again. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Now, I think sometimes we can be tempted to look at others and, and, and think to ourselves, that person is amazing. The way that they serve Jesus, I could never do what they do. My gifts are so small. The ways in which I serve are so humble so simple. How could it possibly be that the church, how could it possibly be that this body of amazing people needs the small thing that I have to offer? And the talents that we have, the gifts that we have, the ways in which we are able to serve him are gifts given to us by God as a result of his grace. So we should never, ever diminish them in this way. Because the world teaches us that those that are more important are those with positions of power and those that are public, those that are up front. It's why we have such a celebrity-saturated culture. It's why CEOs are paid disproportionately compared to the rest of the workforce. But this isn't what Jesus says and this isn't what Jesus does. He, the most powerful being in all the universe, reduced himself to wash the feet of the lowly. Literally, 
and figuratively in taking on our sins in the ultimate act of humility in going to the cross. So we must drop the idea that if our service to Jesus and our role within the body is simple and humble, we need to drop the idea that it's somehow worth less. Rather, it is the work that he has given us. So we must do it with all our might. More than this, we see here, Paul actually draw the analogy between parts of the body which are less presentable with the body of Christ. And what he's saying is there's hidden, there's kind of secret functions within a body that we don't talk about in public, that are nevertheless exceedingly important. Take a worship service, for example. After today, maybe we'll talk about how wonderfully welcomed we were by the welcome team. Or maybe we'll discuss what a fantastic job Anish and the worship team did in leading us before Jesus. And maybe on some Saturdays, we'll talk about how powerful the message was at piercing our hearts with truths about him. But rarely do we talk about those that have been consistently praying during the week for the service. Rarely do we talk about how clean and tidy the room is. Rarely do we talk about how orderly the seats are. Because we can't see these things, just as we can't see the parts of the body that we consider less presentable. But without them, without prayer warriors who are calling out to the Lord for our services on a Saturday, without places to sit, without a clean and tidy and orderly room, this would have a significant impact on our times together worshipping Jesus. So much so that Paul actually says in the second half of verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. In the eyes of God, there is greater honor in these more seemingly menial acts of service. We don't see much detail about why they are more highly honored, but to serve in these ways brings less recognition to ourselves. And this is kind of a little bit of speculation from me, but it would seem to line up with the fact that the motivation to serve in these seemingly media, me, uh, uh, mundane, seemingly kind of menial ways, the motivation is always bringing glory to Jesus. Whereas there's a temptation to bring glory to ourselves when we serve in ways that can be seen. And this may or may not be correct, but whatever the reason, there is honor in serving in all ways within the body of Christ. So if you're not serving, if you're not actively involved within the body of Christ because you feel it won't make a difference, please, please see how wrong this way of thinking is. And the best way is to start being involved by praying. Join the people praying for our services and regularly Give your time to your home group and maybe speak to a ministry leader about what ways you can serve here at Grace Church. I'm sure they will snap your hands off. Okay, let's turn to verses uh, 24 through to 27 and read them again. So we'll pick up in the second half of verse 24. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now to be part of a body means that we are to love and to care for one another. To the extent, as it says here, that we all suffer and we all rejoice together. We never suffer alone. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And again, this makes sense, doesn't it, when you think about a body. So if I've got a migraine, my knee isn't kind of going around saying, look at me, I'm really flexing it today. If I've got a migraine, it affects my whole body. And of course, the reality is within Grace Church, maybe we know the names of 50% of the people that we see sat around us. It is very difficult to get to know all of even this 50% of people to this extent where we're able to share the successes and we're able to share the burdens that we each have, which is one of the reasons we at Grace Church have home groups and why within our home groups we commit to loving and serving one another and caring for each other. And what this should look like is if somebody in your home group is suffering loss, then every single person within that home group should feel it. You may weep or you may mourn together and you will point each other to Jesus and to his word at these times. And, and during these times, you should pray together because all of us are affected deeply and know that it's only in him that lasting comfort can be found. Or if one in your home group is sick, maybe that means you care for them practically by taking the meals, or again, by praying for them, or maybe just simply knowing, letting them know that they're not alone. They should feel the love of Christ through the body of Christ. And of course, as it says here, we must rejoice together too. And we do this in a number of ways. We do this when we come together to worship, when we bring God praise, to share of how he's working in our lives. Our meetings together do not always need to be somber and formal. In fact, when we consider everything that he's done for us, we should be a 24-hour party people. We are forgiven. We are made righteous. We will spend an eternity enjoying his presence. What more reason could we have to rejoice? So Grace Church, let's stop thinking as I am so prone to do, of the smallness of me and I. And let's open our eyes to the grand plan of what God is calling us into together. In his marvelous grace, God has designed us to be part of the most intricate, most wonderful, astounding body ever to exist. A body so magnificent that he will use us to display his glory to the world. There is no higher calling than to be called into the body. There is no higher calling than to be part of the local church. So let's push in and let's take the place 
in the adventure that will bring us greater joy than anything else we can ever do on our own or anything else that this world could ever offer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when we are saved, we are also added into your body. It is your plan, Lord, to bring you glory. It is your plan for the nations to come to know you. And I pray, Father, for any of us this morning who is feeling on the outside, anybody, Lord, this morning who feels as though they are not truly knitted into your body. I pray, Father, you would be working in their hearts, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to, to get involved in a home group, Lord, to, to actively start serving you, to start serving your body here, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that all of this is by your wonderful, wonderful grace. It is not as a result of our works, Lord, but it is entirely a gift from you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.